This is Olivia. Though she has yet to greet the outside world, she has already completed an amazing journey. This is the moment that life begins. A new human being has come into existence. At fertilization, her gender, ethnicity, hair color, eye color, and countless traits are already determined. She begins to implant in the uterus about one week after fertilization. Her cells organize into what we call an embryo. At three weeks in one day, just 22 days after fertilization, Olivia's heartbeat can be detected. The buds of her arms and legs appear by four weeks. She begins to move between five and six weeks with both spontaneous and reflexive movements. At six weeks from fertilization, her brain activity can be recorded and bone formation begins. She can bring her hands together at seven and a half weeks and separate fingers and toes emerge she can also begin to hiccup. At the beginning of the ninth week, Olivia will have grown from a single cell into nearly one billion cells, and she is now called a fetus. She will suck her thumb and swallow, grasp an object, touch her face, sigh and stretch. At 11 weeks, she is playing in the womb, moving her body and exploring her environment. Her taste bud cells have matured by week 12, but are still scattered throughout her mouth. Her mother will first sense Olivia's movements between 14 and 18 weeks, an event called quickening. Beginning at 18 weeks, ultrasounds show speaking movements in her voice box. Around 20 weeks, with a lot of help, babies have survived outside the womb. At 27 weeks, her eyes are responding to light. She can recognize her parents' voices and will even recognize lullabies and stories. Olivia has gone on an amazing journey during these last nine months. She will soon signal to her mother that it is time for delivery and greet the outside world. Good morning. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is a Sunday that we set apart to be able to consider the significance of what takes place within the womb. And so we're going to pause in our series regarding the second coming of Christ to uh, reflect upon the whole matter of the sanctity of human life by turning in our Bibles to the Older Testament to Psalms. And we're going to be turning in particular to Psalm 139, even more so, there is a sliver of verses here that I want to be able to draw out together to be able to examine very carefully. This uh, section has been known in some ways, shapes or forms, as the, as the poetry of biology, if you will. This is a way in which God is expressing in very creative ways what takes place in the formation of the one within the womb. 
So if you would, turn in your Bible to Psalm 139, and I'd like to read from verse 13, and I'll take it down through verse 18, as together we try to explore what it is that God wants to say to us on a very unique Sunday such as this. And in Psalm 139, beginning with verse 13, here now we find the psalmist saying these thoughts, these words to you and to me. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. In your eyes, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And if I would count them, they are more than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And so for the preceding worship service and for this, for those that are joining online, whether it be at the very moment of this service or in the days, weeks to come, we're praying that God's word is going to speak to hearts. And if you find that there is someone in your orbit who would find value in examining these verses in light of what happens within our culture, encourage them to watch this online as we explore God's word together. We'll look to our Lord in prayer. Now, Father, you know our needs. You know the nature of this culture. You know the complexity of the subject that we're exploring together in these moments. Uh, There are legal matters, medical matters, wrapped up in theological matters that have political consequences. Such wide-ranging dynamics on a day like today, and yet can be so personal. I always assume as a senior pastor that year by year, over all these decades, I'm talking to some who have probably experienced abortion in their lives, and I pray that you will speak to the heart and minister to the need. They know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Show them that your grace is sufficient. Power is perfected in weakness. Show us, Father, that you are sovereign. I pray that you will minister to the medical personnel in these various services and those watching online. I pray for the ones that are uh, abortion inclined. I pray for those on the wide spectrum of humanity that 
have to grapple with these things at a very personal level. You know the needs of the hour. So, Father, as we explore these verses together, warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and Him only, and we're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Patty Giebink is an MD. And in an article that she penned for the Christian Medical Dental Association, she shares these thoughts as one who had once been an abortionist in South Dakota, overseeing the singular Planned Parenthood clinic, and then came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and is now a leader in the pro-life movement. Then came the years, she writes, as she looks back over her, her earlier time in medicine. Then came the years of the Clinton administration when the mantra, quote, safe, legal, and rare was the coinage of the hour. Did we ever imagine, though, at that time that abortion would grow into the industry that it has become in which abortion on demand would eliminate generation after generation, perhaps 50 million lives lost and counting. How do we reconcile that? I was once asked why I did abortions. This was before I came to Saving Faith. My answer, if I had known then what I know now, I would never have done them. But even after studying embryology and stages of development in medical school, I was told it's just tissue, making it easier to settle my conscience. Initially, when ultrasound pictures were more like a snowstorm than the detailed images that we see today, the fetus, well, seemed then less human, but still no excuse. And so that I pray that my story of reconciliation and transformation chronicled in my book, Unexpected Choice, an abortion doctor's journey to, journey to pro-life might help anyone who is struggling with the pain of abortion, contemplating abortion, or curious to know how the other side thinks. It's a brilliant brilliant book. What I would love to do is to explore what uh, the good doctor has opened our eyes to in this opening illustration. Certainly, we'll be praying for how God works in through ministries we support, such as Anchor Hope on Baby Care and so on. We're going to be praying for the medical personnel and the various services and those joining us online. But for all of us, there are very personal elements that are attached to what we're about to exegete together in these verses. So beginning with verse 13, notice the reading here that when God begins to speak through David on these thoughts, he says, for you formed my inward parts. 
you knitted me together in my mother's womb. There are going to be three distinctives that I want to be able to draw out for us as we're exploring now this passage together, what I'll call biological distinctives. The first is this, as you and I, as we together, as we consider what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made. Begin by noting with me what I would call the source of human life. In the opening phrase, it begins, for you formed my inward parts. And then for the sake of emphasis, a second time now, it's stated for you and stated for me, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So now twice you have seen the word you. When examine the Hebrew very carefully, this has been placed at the start of the sentence. It's in the emphatic position. The emphatic position. It's meant to stress from the get-go that ultimately what we are talking about here is God. God is going to receive the glory in this text that we're describing here. In other words, God is the source of human life that David's articulating here. You, for you formed. Fascinating word. The word formed in the Hebrew kana, used six times in the Old Testament, is a term for originating. So when you and I are dealing with our origins, we've got to take ourselves back to the originator of life, God himself. Now, this then has direct bearing upon the way in which we approach things. It means then that God is the source of life, therefore the parents are the means of life, but they are not the source of life. They are the mechanism, the means by which God has brought life into this world, but God is the originator of life that has entered into this world. He is saying in exclusive emphatic terms that he is the source. Now, furthermore, it goes on to say, for you formed, originated, my inward parts. Notice he says, my. David is becoming extraordinarily personal at this point. He is going into uh, his, his stage whereby he looks back over fetal development, if you will. And there as he does so, the inward parts that are, that are used here in the Hebrew is actually a word that was meant to symbolize all of the organs of the body. It's the word for kidney. But the kidney to the Hebrews represented the vital organs of the human body, such as the heart, the liver, and so on. So now, when you begin to explore this with me, uh, reading from one of my professors, Dr. Harold O.J. Brown, uh, an ethicist that I've worked with, with regard to the morality of the, what he describes as the killing of the fetus, 
It is not enough to say we are not sure. We are not sure it is human. Rather, we must be able to say we are sure it is not human. Let me quote Dr. Brown again. It is not enough to say we are not sure it is human. We must be able to say we are sure it is not human. And then, of course, he used the analogy that we have used on occasion. If a hunter were to see movement in a bush and shoot at it, it would not be enough for him to say he was not sure it was not another hunter. Rather, he would have to be able to say he was sure it was not. How can we be sure the fetus is not a human being? That is the question we do have to be able to grapple with. Now, David is grappling. For you formed, you originated my, what I will call here, the vital organs. And now poetically, which is being used to be able to communicate things biologically, he then adds, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. The idea of knitting together is an interesting one because it carries with it the idea here of where the parts are coming together. In other words, this has to do with connective tissue, the way which the muscles, the tendons, the cartilage, the bones, and so on, there is this coming together. That's the imagery here used poetically of the knitting aspect. And when you then develop that all the more so, he goes on then to say that this is in my mother's womb. Now, when God created Adam, he created Adam in a perfect environment, you see. God sovereignly chose and created the environment in which Adam was brought to life. What God does with the woman's womb is that God has created an environment in this fallen world to bring life into this world. God is the source of life. The parent is the manager of life. I had to deal with that uh, in a conversation that stands out to me. I've had so many conversations on this subject through all the years as a senior pastor, but one in particular is back in my days where I was doing radio in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I had just finished speaking on Psalm 139, verse 13 down through verse 18, going phrase by phrase and trying to weave together how the biological is being represented in the poetic form, wanting to bring glory to God's name. And then as I got off the elevator, started heading back home, I was gonna take the green belt and back to Allison Park outside of Pittsburgh, a suburb. Uh, I, was, I was confronted by about four women. They were about as red-faced as you could make them because they had been listening to the radio program. And she said, 
one spokesperson. It is my body you're dealing with here. Fascinating. Now, how are you going to respond? That was the question I was going to have to be able to answer myself. And so I took a step back, I paused for a moment, and I prayed as I normally do, wisdom, God. So I prayed. Then I stepped forward, and I leaned forward somewhat, and I said, you and I have something in common. Now they took a step back. So I took another step forward. And I said, what we share in common is that we're dealing with the issue of authority. But here's the thing. You believe that the woman has authority over what takes place in the womb. Well, I believe God has authority over what takes place in the womb. But what we do share in common is the issue of authority. So what you and I need to begin to talk about is how we determine who has authority, you see. Now, the biblical perspective is that God is the source of life. The parent is the means of life. Now, as I was heading back on the green belt to get to Allison Park, I was thinking about this because the issue of our culture today what stands behind the issue of abortion is the issue of authority and the flip side, autonomy. The person who wants to be autonomous from God's authority then tries to take, take uh, ownership over, over what transpires within the womb. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior and as your Lord, he has authority. Then everything that I do comes under the category that he is the owner and I am the manager of all things of life, including the realm of parenting. I bring glory to God's name. And that's what needs to take place in order for this culture to begin to grasp the significance of the subject matter at hand. So we have to be able to help people to grapple with the source of life as it relates to the means of life. And as we do so, another thought process needs to be worked through together. We need to be able to distinguish potential life versus life with potential. Potential life versus life with potential. See, my friends might be prone to say that's potential life, but how can they know? The believer opens God's word and says, this is life with potential, room for growth. And what fascinates me is that when I study the scriptures, the Bible does not make a principal distinction between the child after birth and the child in the womb. For example, in the same Hebrew word yelled is used of children generally as well as of the child in the womb, in Exodus 21, verse 22. In the New Testament, the Greek word brephos 
is used of the young Hebrew children slaughtered by, at Pharaoh's command in Acts 7.19, and of the unborn babe, John the Baptist, in his mother's womb in Luke chapter 1, verse 41 through 44. You know the story. It was that moment where Mary arose with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, she entered the house of Zechariah, the physician, Luke informs us, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. In other words, John the Baptist within the womb of Elizabeth was already responding to the presence of the Messiah. before John the Baptist had been born. This gives new credence to the idea of him being the forerunner, doesn't it? So then you go on. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So you think this through with me, and you realize now that you and I are, are grappling with, what we're dealing with then is the whole matter of God being the creator. And I thought about that. One of my favorite professors from Princeton is Professor Robert George. And he makes a point in a colorful way in a civil liberties course by reading to his students uh, the opening words of the Declaration of Independence. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And then Dr. George looks out at the sea of students in the packed lecture hall and says, these are the foundational words of the American doctrine of civil liberties. And in light of the content of that doctrine as Explained and expressed in the Declaration, uh, perhaps wouldn't it be uh, it wouldn't be inappropriate to begin our deliberations by here offering thanks to the Creator who endowed us with these rights. So let us, in silence, each according to his own tradition and in his own way, give thanks to the Creator for our precious rights and liberties in a secular university lecture hall. And then Dr. George added impishly, and those of you who are not believers might take this opportunity to reflect in silence upon the source of our most important rights and liberties, which I believe you too cherish. And when he looked up again, he saw 250 undergraduates with their heads bowed. And to the side, a handful of teaching assistants looking pale and horrified. Even our founding fathers grasped the significance that we're endowed by our Creator 
with certain inalienable rights. In a very rights-oriented culture, what we have to establish is a responsibility-oriented response. And that begins when we distinguish between the source and the means. We get this out of one verse, verse 13. But now, there's a second distinctive I want to draw out here, that furthermore, as you and I, as we consider what means to be fearfully and wonderfully made, you're not only noting with me the source of human life in 13, but now the structuring of human life in verse 14 through the first part of verse 16. So how does this begin? If you are given the privilege of introducing people to look at an ultrasound, for example, here's how you can prep your own heart. I praise you. Start off with a worshipful spirit. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I love that idea. One of my favorite authors is G.K. Chesterton, who wrote, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Let me read that again. The world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. So you allow for the young couple who are, who are now looking at the imagery of the child within the womb to be filled with wonder. You're praying for that couple at that point. But what you want to be able to do is to couple wonder with explanation as to what's taking place within that womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Which means then he, he rejects the uh, false thinking that I'm a self-made person. And David was an extraordinarily accomplished person. But he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then to reiterate, he adds once again, wonderful are your works. And then as I reflected upon those who had gathered in horseshoe effect around me when I had finished my radio program, my soul knows it very well. They know it very well. They can't quite explain why that child entered into the womb. They know all the hows and the whats. How do you explain the why of life unless you go back to the creator of life, you see? And this is what God is now doing here through David's penmanship. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And I, I smiled when I, I thought about, in particular, a, a dialogue that was happening on MSNBC um, by, with Chris Matthews and Rob Reiner, where they were reviewing a particular election, and they were beginning to talk about 
of women who had been defeated in the election and the uniqueness of women. Now, these are what they call, quote, ardent pro-choice individuals, unquote. But listen to Matthews. You and I don't know what it's like to have a human being come out of us. That's quite an experience to have a baby, this man says. Come again? A baby? He said that? Reiner, Rob Reiner, who has produced films and the likes, how's he going to respond? Is he he going to refute the idea that that's a baby in the womb? Reiner, that's right. We also don't know what it's like to to have a human being growing inside of us and nurturing a human being. Rob Reiner says this? Well... David would say, ah, my soul knows it very well. And sometimes our words and our soul get all tangled up in the subject matter. Now what I did when I came to what comes next, I pulled out my anatomy book and a physiology book sitting next to my uh, desk at the church office here, and began to explore some of the wording that begins to unfold, because we're talking now about the structuring of the human body. We are fearfully, wonderfully made. Our soul knows it very well. But now it goes on to say this. My frame was not hidden from you. The word frame has to and pertains to the skeletal system of the body. Now, as you're reading this passage of Scripture, then you become overwhelmed with the systems of the body. Skeletal, muscular, cardiovascular, digestive, the endocrine system, nervous system, and so on and so forth. My frame, my skeletal system was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. There's a certain privacy, or privacy depending on where you come from, that, that stands out here, the being made in secret. But then the psalmist goes on to say that he was intricately woven. The phrase intricately woven has to do with a series of complex patterns and designs. We want to be able to say that behind the design stands the designer. And what we've got to do is to take people who are exploring and examining the design and point them in direction of the designer who sent the second member of the Trinity into this world as a baby and to grow, to die on a cross, to save you and to save me from our sins. There's this complex pattern here. There's this design here. 
But then he adds, in the depths of the earth, and you say, well, Gary, why does he refer to this as the depths of the earth? He is speaking poetically as he's describing things biologically. Now, when he says the depths of the earth, the reader at this point goes back to the Genesis account where Adam was created from the dust of the earth, you see. And now what the psalmist does, he says, I'm going to go to the very depths of this and understand that the whole matter of the origins has got to be tied to the originator himself, the sovereign God of the universe. So he's speaking poetically here as he is communicating things that are to be understood biologically. And then he adds, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Unformed substance? That is the word for an embryo. By now, our spirits should be worshiping God, the designer who stands behind his design where we have put in proper perspective the source of human life, and from that we've got a better handle on the structuring of human life, taking into account the idea of the frame, the skeletal system, the complex patterns and designs, and the unformed substance. We're talking here about the embryo. So even the most small of the various aspects of what's being described here carries on high significance. I thought about that. I was looking through one of my medical journals, and the opening paragraph had to do, uh, in this particular case, with, it was entitled, The Powerful Pituitary Gland. Written very well. The pituitary gland is a tiny powerhouse, a traffic controller that sits at the base of the brain and secretes hormones that control other glands. This complex process affects important body functions. If the pituitary does not function properly, a host of significant problems then will arise. And so the endocrine system is of high significance and very complicated. You pull this together, the source of human life is found in verse 13, that's God. The structuring of human life is found in verses 14, 15, and 16. And as you and I develop this further, we've got a better understanding of the significance of what's found here. And then my mind, does your mind go to something of this nature? Dr. Nigel Cameron, in a volume he had written, and he is, he's taught here before, writes, the most fascinating recent comment on the Hippocratic Oath that medical school students once, once uh, recited at the time of graduation is one which originated with Margaret Mead, anthropologist. Her major insight was that the Hippocratic Oath marked one of the most, one of the most significant turning points in the history of humanity. For she says, for the first time in our human tradition, there was a complete separation between killing and curing. Throughout the primitive world, the doctor and the sorcerer tend to be the same person. The witch doctor type. 
He with the power to kill had the power to cure. He who had the power to cure had also the power to kill. But with the Hippocratic Oath, the distinction was made. One profession were to be dedicated completely to life under all circumstances, regardless of rank, age, or intellect, whether it be the life of a slave, the life of an emperor, the life of a foreign man, the life of a, of a child with, a, with various deficiencies. But society always is attempting to make the physician back into a killer, to kill the defective child at birth, to leaving the sleeping pills beside the bed of the cancer patient. You've got to take yourself back to the source, the sovereign God. Those that are politically inclined know uh, the name Whitaker Chambers. Brilliant and wrote a great book called Witness, who dated his initial break with communism to the time in which his young daughter uh, smeared porridge on her face. Chambers found himself looking at her intricate, perfect ears, quote, unquote. And he saw, quote, immense design, not a chance coming together of atoms. For, quote, at that moment, the finger of God was first laid upon my forehead as he began to understand very clearly this is about God. And that's why we don't so much argue for traditional values here as we do original values. We go back to the beginnings and begin to understand significantly that this is God at work. Which leads you, leads me to our third and our final distinctive, the sanctity of human life. The sanctity of human life which now flows naturally out of what comes next, beginning in the second part of verse 16, onward to 18. In your book, not my book, in your book were written every one of them. Every one of what, Gary? Answer, the days that were formed for me. You're the ordainer of my life when as yet there was none of them. Astounding. What do you do? What is your response of worship when you ponder the significance of what's just been penned there? It comes with an exclamation point. How precious to me are your thoughts, oh God, not mine, your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them? If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, he goes on to say, and I am still with you. And so a, a Dr. Patty Giebank realizes that God is with her, writes, the brilliant book, Unexpected Choice, An Abortion Doctor's Journey to Pro-Life. And through it all, as she ponders her life's journey and how God is at work and how she has shared her story on Moody Radio, 
Janet Purcell. She then says to those who need to be reminded of this fact, everyone needs to go to the foot of the cross. Regain your perspective and bring life into the midst of a dying culture. Let's stand together. Father, this is the theology of biology. This is the opportunity for us to be able to make statements in a culture such as ours that just because something might be legal does not mean that that thing is moral. That we have the opportunity to help people make distinction between potential life and life with potential. To equip people to be able to understand the difference between the source of life and the means of life. To draw people back to the starting point, you. And to be able to understand the matter of authority. and push back against autonomy. You are Lord. And so we thank you, Father, on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday that we have the opportunity to take these few verses, pull them together and see how relevant they are to modern life today. So I'm praying now that you equip us to be able to take these principles, put them in very practical ways to talk, carry on conversations, find on-ramps, and then lead people to Jesus, who at one point was found in embryonic form, but came to die for our sins. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.